Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMEA markets. It's Tuesday, October 11th. I'm Andrew Ross. And I'm Richard Woolley. Coming up this week, distressed reporter Farouk Belloc will be discussing French IT consultancy company Atos, which has seen its bonds come under pressure. Magnus Sherman will talk us through the latest developments around Luxembourg-headquartered metals and mining group Metalcorp. And legal reporter Connor Lovell will be here to talk about two subprime loan providers which are looking to implement schemes of arrangement. But first, high-yield reporter Beatrice Mavrolian is here to discuss the past week in the European primary market. Over the last week, activity in the primary market has shown that there is invested an appetite for better deals, whereas borrowers who are more exposed to the impact of the economic downturn and generate limited free cash flow are struggling to get deals across the line. Dutch artificial grass company Tencat Grass postponed the issuance of its 274.3 million euro term loan B add-on following House of HR, which postponed part of its debt issuance the previous week. Investors who looked at 10CAT's term loan B add-on highlighted that, company, that the company will have negative to modest free cash flow generation in the near term. Demand for new sports grounds, which is a big ticket expense for municipalities and schools, is likely to decline as a result of the downturn. And future competition from companies in China and elsewhere could make the group lose its competitive advantage, investors suggested. Spanish clothing retailer Tendem, meanwhile, managed to price its 300 million euro 5.5 year floating rate notes at a 93 OID with a euro plus 750 basis point margin on Wednesday afternoon. And by Thursday morning, the notes had traded up to a bid ask of 94, 94.75. Fashion retail is obviously a challenging sector in a downturn, and the company is exposed to rising input costs and higher transport costs for, for its materials, which are primarily sourced in Asia. However, conservative management, very low leverage of around 2.3 times, and solid cash generation drove investor interest. This week, Italian specialty packaging company Fedragoni is marketing 875 million euro senior secured notes to support Bain and BC Partners' joint ownership of the company. And oil and gas company Enquest is offering $300 million of senior subordinated notes due 2027 to fully redeem its existing $650 million notes due 2023. Hi, Farouk. Last week, you wrote about French IT consulting company Atos, which has seen its bonds come under pressure as investors worry about its ability to execute its turnaround plan in a timely manner. Can you walk us through some of the main concerns investors have around this name? Oh, thank you, Andrew. Yes, the company has five unsecured bonds and all are down. The 2028s are currently quoted in mid-60s, and that's a drop of more than 20 points since the company announced its turnaround plan in mid-June. Other bonds also fell about 10 to 12 points. Even the 2023, which is due next October, is down a couple of points to just under 97. So there were two main issues investors flagged about it. Firstly, the company's turnaround project didn't mention what would happen to the bonds. And second, investors didn't seem to trust the management and doubted they would successfully deliver on the plan. What is their turnaround plan and why did they, why did they need it in the first place? So this is a large IT company with a revenue of 11 billion euros. But the problem is its legacy IT infrastructure management business is struggling. They made an accounting blunder last year and um, earned a lot of negative press ar ar around that. So it's uh, lost investors trust. 
It has been burning cash in the first half. It had an outflow of over half a billion euros and the profit margin also fell 460 bips to just over 1%. The net debt, including lease liabilities, is standing at 2.9 billion euros. Uh, in July, S&P lowered ETO's unsecured bonds rating to triple B minus, citing risks related to the plan's execution, and assigned them a recovery rating of three. So this basically means a 50% recovery in case the company defaults. So to address all these issues, ETO's decided to split the group into two listed companies. So the plan is to combine their profitable businesses, the big data and cybersecurity ones, uh, they're called Avidian, uh, and to form a Spinco and then separate it from the loss-making businesses, which will become TFCO. In the preferred case scenario, Eto's shareholders will own 100% of TFCO, the loss-making business, and 70% of Spinco, the good assets. The remaining 30% of Spinco will be held by TFCO and monetized over time to refinance TFCO's turnaround costs. That's what the company says. And what is the restructuring going to cost them and how are they planning to fund it? Well, the company says it needs 1.6 billion euros, and in fact, it has already secured a debt uh, from its existing lenders, which are a group of international banks, to meet that requirement. They had an RCF of around 2.4 billion, and out of that, they converted 1.5 billion into an unsecured term loan with a maturity of 18 months, and it comes with two six-month extensions if the group wants it. They have got another 900 million RCF maturing in 2025 and a new 300 million unsecured bridge loan with a 12 months maturity and an option to extend it by another six months. So they plan to repay the bridge loan um, using proceeds from the disposals of non-core businesses. So what's the problem then? Well, as I said in the beginning, the bonds are not protected and investors who are concerned about the timely and successful execution of the plan. Now that the company has told us it will shift the debt to Spenco, so there is some clarity on the debt side. But the problem is that uh, they have about 2.4 billion euros uh, maturing within the next 12 months. As you can see, the refinancing they've got recently hasn't bought them enough time. Can they deliver on their plan within this time frame is the main question. This was also flagged by S&P in their ratings downgrade. So ETOS also acknowledged the risk associated with the, you know, the plan's execution. They told us that the risk will decrease as they deliver on the plan. And when I asked them about the timeline, they said they expect to complete it by July 1st at the earliest or end of 2023 at the latest. Metalcorp withheld a 70 million euro bond principal payment on Monday last week, which triggered a 40, that's 40 point drop in its 2026 bonds. Uh, a few tumultuous days followed, uh, after which management finally set up a call to confront creditors. Uh, Magnus Sherman was speaking to Katarina about this last week, and he joins me again today. Uh, Magnus, how did that meeting with management go? Yeah, I think it was um, uh, very positively received that they uh, took the time to have this call because there's very little information around uh, a lot of these very important details. So I think that was, as a starting point, well received. The call itself was a bit so-and-so because management did walk through a lot of the information that's already publicly available and how its uh, company is run and how the how the business generates revenue and EBITDA. Um, but some of the key points about liquidity. Um, they did provide some of it, but um, the main point about how or why the shareholder Monaco Resources have not stepped in to plug this liquidity hole that the company has at the moment that triggered this non-payment last week 
that was not addressed properly. They just said this was uh, unexpected, and uh, because of that, they are now working on a on a solution. Um, but a default uh, did take place this week because there's only a seven days grace period in the 2022 bond. And they um, also disclosed a uh, cash burn in the third quarter alone of 25 million euros, taking cash all the way down to 46 million, which is a pretty critical level for this company because they said they need between 35 and 40 just to run its operations at full capacity. So they are really at the bottom of that of that end. And um, the company also raised 50 million, we should remember, in June uh, on top of the 250 raised last summer. So um, there's some questions around where all this uh, cash has gone. Um, it is a capital intensive business being uh, aluminium um, producer and and miner so that requires a lot of cash but um, but this cash burn is, is raising some questions among investors and the company um, also interestingly they have these two bonds the 2022 and 2026 they only really addressed the 2022 bonds and they said they would they would um, call a bondholder meeting to um, to ask for this amend and extend and they did that on uh, on Friday okay so that's for the, the 2022s. What about the 2026 bonds? Yeah, this is the big question everyone's asking and definitely an important point that they did not address during this um, this call on Thursday last week um, because the 2026 bonds, that's the bigger of the two, um, they uh, are about to default in November unless there's a solution put in place before that. The uh, a large group of bondholders in the 2026 bonds have also already organised with Julian Loki and Kirkland and Ellis um, ahead of these talks with the with the company. But so far, the company has actually not called a bondholder meeting to um, to ask for waivers on the 2026 bonds, which is raising um, again some questions around what what this company is is actually doing, um, because that will be an important important part of um, of getting creditors on board in this process. Great, Magnus. Thank you very much. We'll keep an eye on it. Reorg has recently reported on two middle market subprime lenders, Non-Standard Finance and Morses Club, who are considering using schemes of arrangements or restructuring plans that will impose a haircut on the compensation they owe to customers following regulatory action. Legal reporter Connor Laval has been following the names and what subprime lenders do and what makes this sector particularly interesting at the moment. Hi Andrew. So subprime lenders lend to individuals who can't access traditional finance. There are different models such as doorstep lending. This is where cash is bought and collected from the customer's home. This is a model used by Morse's Club. There's also guarantor lending where a loan is guaranteed by a family member or a friend as provided by non-standard finance. What these lenders have in common is that they have fallen foul of regulators in recent years due to their high cost and high default rate. The resulting compensation claims threaten their financial viability and, of course, the interests of their lenders. Companies with substantially similar business models, such as Amigo Loans and Provident Financial, have in the past year or so used schemes to reduce compensation arising from claims owed to its own customers. In the past, the Financial Conduct Authority has successfully scuppered schemes that it thought were unfair on its customers. This has created a lot of uncertainty around whether it would appear in court to oppose a scheme. However, earlier this year, the FCA issued new guidance about how it would respond to schemes of this type. The guidance requires close engagement with the regulator, which will, for the first time, charge a fee for its work. It's also clear that the FCA's evaluation of you know, how fair a scheme is or isn't may be very different from the court's interpretation. 
Non-Standard Finance and Morses Club will together be the first scheme companies to road test this new FCA guidance in practice. And how are these lenders ensuring they stay on the right side of the regulator? So, first of all, they're designing their proposals with the FCA from the outset. Discussions will include how claims are calculated, the size and fairness of a proposed haircut, and financial contributions from other stakeholders, in particular shareholders who may be asked to stump up cash. Secondly, it's highly likely that they will appoint an independent customer advocate to ensure claimants, who are not typical sophisticated scheme creditors, are represented and adequately informed about developments. Morse's Club has already done this. Thirdly and finally, in the case of Morse's Club, the company reached an agreement with the FCA to protect claimants by placing their loan repayments in a ring-fenced trust structure. This should, if done properly, protect some customer money in the event that the scheme fails and the company becomes insolvent. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Andrew. On Thursday, November 3rd, Reorg will be hosting an in-person event at Claridge's in London. We'll be bringing together two panels of experts to discuss the latest of the primary and restructuring markets. The guest panellists include Heis de Rouvert from Houlihan Loki, Robbie Harris from HSBC, Lois Deasy from Wheel, Tim Ailes from Rothschild and Ralph Ackerman from Searchlight. Check out the invitation on the webinars and podcast page to register now uh, or email marketing at reorg for more information. On October 5th, Reorg hosted a webinar on Genesis Care to discuss how its ill-fated US acquisition has left the group headed for a restructuring. Um, similarly, a replay is available on our website under the podcast page. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. More information on all of the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.